Over the past few weeks, we have been taking a closer look at Christmas through the eyes of different individuals involved in that gospel narrative. We've looked from the perspective of the angels, and from their point of view, from heaven and their involvement, we've considered what shepherds may have beheld that glorious night there in the fields and as they ventured into Bethlehem. We've taken a look into the personal lives of Mary and Joseph. We've tried to discern what this special baby may have meant to each of them. In each scenario, we've uncovered this uniqueness about this event that has changed the course of history, not only for those who were personally involved on that special night, but for all mankind throughout all history, even down to us. Today, our world celebrates Christmas in a variety of ways. Some like to circle the family around that table, enjoying a wonderful traditional meal, sharing presents and with one another, singing Christmas songs and wishing one another a, a happy new year. Others, they like the glitz and the glamour and, and, and the lights of that season, the tinsel and the holly, and, and who can forget, of course, eggnog, right? Some like the traditions that are based on their culture, whether it be Santa Claus riding in a sleigh pulled by eight reindeer or making sure that you leave a bowl of porridge out under the Christmas tree for Nisi, that mythological creature in the Scandinavian countries who protects the homes and the families during this season. But remember, if he doesn't get his porridge, he may become a naughty little fella and start breaking things in the house. However, tonight, I want to take us on a journey again and see things as they may have been through the eyes of one more individual. What, what was it about this individual and his coming into the world? Jesus. Jesus. It was such a time that, that was unique within all of history that he found this to be the very moment that would be appointed for him to appear. Was it really part of his plan from the very beginning before the foundations of the world were laid? Or was it something that had developed over time and as it went by that, that God realized that, that we needed a Savior because of our sinfulness that destroyed our relationship with him? So I ask that this evening you would join me on this journey of taking a closer look at Christmas through the eyes of Jesus. So let's go back to the beginning, before the beginning. I mean, literally before the beginning and the creation of the foundation of this world and the universe. The scriptures inform us that before the world even began, that God was at work in heaven crafting a plan to redeem the whole of mankind through a sacrifice of atonement that would ultimately bring the redemption of all men if they would put their faith in Him. All of this meant that at some point in time, God would have to enter into this world Himself. Not as God, but as a man. 
in order that he would offer himself up as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of mankind. The Apostle John writes to us in his gospel narrative, right at the very beginning in John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. So, in order for God to set forth this plan in motion, in His omniscience, He determined that He would make man in His image, in His likeness. And so He created Adam and Eve like Him. But that was just the beginning. He would then place within them a very fascinating character trait. Free will. Now, now it was that, that freedom that we find really, I think, the wonder and the amazement of God. Rather than creating a world of puppets whom he would then manipulate in this world, or, or people who would simply, because they were being created like him, they would then desire to have this relationship with him. He wanted these people to choose for themselves to love him because he loved us first. Knowing full well what that would mean, God then began to set forth this plan to make things right even before it began. So at the outset of creation, Adam and Eve made the choice to go against God's will and to rebel and to be disobedient. It was only then that He let them in on His plan of redemption. In that moment when He was to bring punishment to Adam and Eve, God gave a promise. And what a promise it was that one day through a woman would come a Savior who would have the power to destroy not only sin but death itself and would then bring life that is everlasting once again. Now, as time rolled on and the years passed by, generations would come and generations would go, but God would not forget His promise. He would often communicate that promise to, to men such as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon. And the list would go on and on. Through the prophets, he would foretell and predict his coming into this world as a Messiah. And letting them know that he would be the Savior of the world. Isaiah would prophesy in chapter 7, verse 14, that he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and what a sign it is. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I love babies. Don't you? That's life. Emmanuel. There it is. Just in that one little word, Emmanuel. 
God with us. I mean, what a sign. You see, in the uniqueness of a creative genius, God once again creates a wonder and an amazement. Through a virgin, a baby would be born. But not just any baby, but Emmanuel, God in the flesh. Isaiah would go on and prophesy in the ninth chapter of his letter that he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The Apostle Paul, years later, he would tell us in Colossians, the first chapter of his letter, first 15 through 17, that in this baby is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or dominions or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. A baby. Yep, a baby. Once again, not just any baby. Mary was told he would be the Holy One, the Son of God. I can only imagine that moment in which God decided it was time. Can't you just picture that? That, all right, now's the time, preparations have been made, and it's ready to go. I can only think what, what would have transpired. You see, the world had gone on long enough, and the moment was right. And as he looked down upon the earth, there was Mary. Now, she had been created for this very purpose. And she'd been found to be faithful to God and he favored her greatly. But how, how could God, who is too incomprehensible to be contained in any one thing, be minimized to the size of an embryonic cell? That still baffles me. You see, here is the one who with one word spoke the universe into existence and who, who cast the stars into place by the palm of his hand. Isaiah asks these questions. He says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket. 
and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are the beast enough for a burnt offering. And all the nations are as nothing before him. They're accounted to him by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol. A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out to skillful craftsmen to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness." Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and see who created these. Who brings out these, their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? That the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. And yet, this magnificent God of all things decided to trade his majestic glory in heaven and take on the very form of his creation, but not just any form. He he would humble himself and become seemingly insignificant in the eyes of the world, and he would place himself in the precarious position of being vulnerable as an infant. Now, if you've ever held a baby in your arms, you understand what vulnerability is. And yet... That was just the beginning of his vulnerability. This baby would grow just in life like any other person, save the fact that he was able to truly understand the Word of God and completely be obedient to it. After all, he is the very Word of God. His demonstration of his comprehension of the ancient scriptures was so profound that even the greatest teachers of the law were amazed at his understanding of it at such a young, tender age of 12. 
It was there in the temple in Jerusalem that year that Jesus conveyed his knowledge of what his purpose was in life. He was here on mission, on a mission from his Father in heaven. Now the years would pass by, and we would once again see Jesus in the forefront of life, and his ministry was just beginning to unfold, and he was fulfilling scriptures once again. So in the synagogue there in Nazareth... On a Sabbath day, Jesus proclaimed the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. And Luke records for us that statement. Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. From that moment forward, his ministry was both loved and hated, revered and repulsed. He was followed and abandoned. Eventually, Jesus would make his way to Jerusalem one last time. This time, however, it would be for completing his mission on earth. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see... It was there on that cross that the work of Jesus was finally finished. So he breathed his last breath and he gave up his spirit to his Father. But what was finished? Why is it that his mission was to go to a cross? Well, he explained this to his disciples earlier that week when they were holding their Passover meal. They were celebrating that together in an upper room there in Jerusalem just a few hours really before he would be crucified. So Matthew tells us as an inside point of view from that evening, he tells us that as he were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take Eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So in taking a closer look at Christmas, we also must take a look at the cross. Ultimately, that was the purpose for Jesus being born. For Him to come into this world, not to live, but to die. And to be a ransom 
for our sins. I want to pause for a moment tonight as we remember not only his birth, but the life that was given as the most precious gift that we could ever have received from heaven. Remembering that his body was broken and his blood was shed as a sacrifice for our sins. If you have your communion with you, let's prepare that. We're told that the Word of God took on flesh so that He could relate to us. Hebrews tells us He did that so that He could be that sacrifice for us. That His body would be broken and as we partake of this little bit of bread, may we remember the gift of that sacrifice of His broken body. And as we drink of the fruit of the vine, we remember the blood that He shed for our sins to make atonement so that we can have relationship with God once more. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for today to remember Jesus and what He has done for us. Father, that He came into this world as a tiny baby that would surrender His life eventually on a cross for our sins. Father, may we never let that message in the story of Christmas ever disappear from this world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we move into our candle lighting portion of the service. John tells us, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. True light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's light our candles for Christ. Light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before mothers, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Let's pray. Father, again, may your light shine through us in the darkness of night that people might see your glorious goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.